the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. But I have to tell you, having grown up in the church, I fear that our language has caused some to diminish valuable impact of some of our religious practices. There's nothing wrong with religious practices that remind us and add value to our relationship. Welcome to The Barnabas Effect with Paul Purvis, Senior Pastor of Mission Hill Church, a multicultural, multi-generational, multiplying church focused on shining the light and love of Jesus Christ like a city on a hill. You're invited to visit any of the three locations in Temple Terrace and Tampa. For information and locations, visit missionhillchurch.com. Now, with today's message, here's Pastor Paul Purvis. Take your copy of God's Word and turn with me to Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3 is where you're going to find our scripture reading today. And I want to suggest something to you as we begin. I don't think we feel like what we sung. I really don't. I, I, all I have to do is look at our expressions as we sing. I, I, I think we don't feel redeemed. In fact, I think many of us get to places where we're paralyzed in our journey of faith. Do you ever feel like you need some rest and relaxation? On days like today, the attendance in churches is usually a little more sparse because people have begun the vacation season. We're in search of a little help. I live with a teacher, and I know that teachers, for example, are counting down the days to the end of school. You're looking for a little bit of respite. Well, I believe that a lot of us get to a place spiritually where we need that. We need times of refreshing. We get to a place where we're spiritually dull, spiritually dead, and we can sing, amazing grace, how sweet the sound. We can sing, I've been redeemed, but our faces don't show it. Our lives don't express it because we've allowed ourselves to get paralyzed in our faith. We're about to read a story in scripture that's one of the first miracles of the newborn Christian church. The healing faith of a disabled and paralyzed man. And what I want us to understand is some of us that have gathered here today have gathered here as disabled men and women. The truth is everyone experiences difficult times along life's journey. We all need seasons of refreshing. Times in our lives when we encounter the renewal and revival that only comes from the healing presence of Jesus the Christ. Let me see your hand if you could experience some of those times of refreshing in your life. I know I need that. Today's passage, we see a miraculous healing of a man who's unable to walk. He was paralyzed since birth, and he encounters the redemptive power of God. And my prayer for us today, both individually and corporately, is that God would so show up in this place that he would get us moving, that that which we have been unable to do, we will be able to do 
for his glory. My prayer is that we would understand the power and the presence and the passion of Jesus Christ like never before in such a way that it changes us and people see us. We do not need any more going through the motions. We do not need any more church services. We desperately need the power of God. I want to remind you of the context of the passage of Scripture we're about to read. In Acts chapter 1, we're told that there were about 120 followers of Jesus Christ who watched him ascend into heaven. They stared gazing into the heavens as Jesus left them in their mind. An angel of the Lord told them, don't stand gazing, but get busy. Wait on the Lord. Obey his commands. They went to what was called the upper room, and they began to wait, and they obeyed the Lord. And as they did on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit began to fall on all of them. And an amazing thing happened. As the Holy Spirit began to fall, they began to speak, and they spoke in languages they had never spoken, or at least the people heard in languages that they had never spoken. And God began to do mighty things in the midst of all the people gathered in Jerusalem. And it got everyone's attention. And Peter, the apostle, used it as an opportunity. So with everyone focused on him, he stood up and he preached the first message of the Christian church. Here's a little pop quiz for you. Does anyone remember the theme, the central component, the focus of the message, the first message of the Christmas Christian church? What was the theme? It was Jesus. That's right. And we're reminded that in our lives, if we focus on Jesus, it really does change things. The main thing, we've said, is to keep the main thing the main thing. So after Peter preached, 3,000 people repented, the Bible tells us. They were baptized, and the early church, the Christian church, was born. This was the birth of the first church. And we talked about how at birth, we often see a snapshot. And with social media, it could be minutes after birth, you begin to see babies appear on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and all the social media outlets. We text those pictures to our friends and to our family. And, and so what is the snapshot that we see of the early church? We see some things that distinguish it, things that should be true in our churches even today. We see that the church was a group of people committed to the apostles' teaching. They were committed to getting into the Word of God and understanding the truth of who Jesus was and and what that meant. And so we learned that discipleship mattered to the first church. Discipleship mattered to the first church. And if we're going to be like that church, discipleship must matter to us. You need to be growing in your faith and you need to be reproducing others who are growing in their faith. Then we saw that the church was made up of people that cared for one another. They met one another's needs. They were devoted to what was called the fellowship. That was not just a gathering. That was the body of Christ. That was the bride. That was the church, the fellowship. We learned that relationships mattered to the early church. And if we're going to be like that church, relationships must matter to us. And then we learned that the church was comprised of people who were committed to keeping the main thing the main thing. It says, when they met together, they broke bread. And we learned that breaking bread was just a reminder of celebration of the Lord's Supper, something we're going to do in just a few moments. An opportunity to focus on what it's all about, the gospel of Christ, that he died for our sins. He was buried. He rose again on that third day. See, the message mattered to the early church. 
And we live in a changing world, and in a changing world, even in church, our methods must always change, but our message must never change. And the message is still the gospel. We must be focused on the gospel above all. And then we see that as the early church gathered, they were committed to praying and praising God together. See, worship mattered to the early church. And I'll just be honest with you, and maybe the Lord's just trying to do something in me today, but I think when that early church praised God and prayed together, they were not going through some stale motions. They were not just standing and singing something they had always sung or praying a rote prayer they had always prayed. They were empowered by the Spirit of God, and they were communicating with the one true God. When we pray, when we worship By very definition, what we're saying is that we're coming before God and we're giving it to him. When we don't, we're faking it. Worship mattered to the early church. And as a result, at the end of Acts chapter 2, it tells us that the church grew daily. The Lord added to their number daily. So what were they doing? How did he add to their number daily? Well, you're going to see in Acts chapter 3, it's because of what they did outside of their meetings together. Listen to Acts chapter 3, beginning of verse 1. This is the word of God. Now, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Now, I'm just introducing this message. We're going to get to the focal scripture in a few moments, but I want you to understand a few things from these verses we've just read. I want you to understand it's significant that the apostles were still going to the temple. It's significant because as you read in the New Testament, you will notice that those who follow Christ begin to give up some of those trappings of their Jewish faith. But here at the early stages of the birth of the church, they were still going to the temple. And there's something I think we can learn from that. While our faith journey is all about a relationship with God, there's nothing wrong that with acknowledging that we often express that relationship through religious practices. Our church has a Baptist heritage. And in Protestant denominations like ours, you often hear this phrase, we look to God in relationship not religion. We say it's all about relationship. It's not about religion. And that's true. We want people to have a personal relationship with God that rises above religious practices. But I have to tell you, having grown up in the church, I fear that our language has caused some to diminish valuable impact of some of our religious practices. There's nothing wrong with religious practices that remind us and add value to our relationship. By the way, that's why we come to church. 
It's the focus on it's just a relationship that causes some people to say, I don't need the church. Even though scripture says, forsake not the assembling of yourself together so that you might encourage one another. It's the religious practices of the Lord's Supper, as we will celebrate today, that remind us of the death of Christ. And that regular reminder, as it was set forth in the New Testament, is what draws us into an understanding to let our faith have a vibrancy and to be refreshed. I think this focus on relationship versus religion has caused us to minimize some of those practices which add value. I want you to think about what God could do in your life if you're just faithful in some simple practices of your faith. I heard a story several years ago about a lady in Nashville named Lila Craig. She hadn't missed attending church in 1,040 Sundays. That's 20 years straight. Does anybody have that record in here? I didn't think so. The editor commented, it makes one wonder, what's the matter with Miss Craig? Doesn't it ever rain or snow in her town on Sunday? Doesn't she ever have unexpected company? How is it she never goes anywhere on Saturday night so that she's too tired to attend the worship service the next morning? Doesn't she ever beg off to attend picnics or family reunions or have headaches or need time to read her Sunday newspaper? Hasn't she ever become angry at the minister or had her feelings hurt by someone who felt justified in staying home just to hear a good sermon on TV? What's the matter with Miss Craig anyway? See, we come to a place where we let all these things in our life get in the way of, I think, some of the necessary practices of our faith. And I think in turn, that can hinder even our relationship with God. If you've just joined us, you're listening to The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis. Video of the message you're listening to is available when you click the Watch tab at missionhillchurch.com. Thanks for sharing time with us and for sharing your financial gifts by clicking the Give button at MissionHillChurch.com. And now, with more of today's message, here's Pastor Paul Purvis. They were going to the temple, but they were going there to do what? Why were they going to the temple? They were going to pray. Three times a day, they would go to the temple and pray. This was the afternoon time probably three o'clock in the afternoon, they were going to the temple to pray. I want you to understand something. It's impossible. Say impossible. It's impossible to have a vibrant Christian life apart from a vibrant prayer life. There are some things that come only through prayer. As they were going committed to this practice, this religious practice of prayer, God orchestrated a divine appointment. He has a way of doing that. When we're faithful in the little things, he does big things we were not even imagining, things we were not even planning. Let me just ask you before I move on, are you availing yourself to the potential for divine appointments in your life? Are you so focused and hurried and scurrying through life that you couldn't experience a divine appointment even if God set it up and right before you? Next, I want you to see that this man, this beggar represented every one of us. There are things in his life that are just like every one of us. This is a man who was born lame. This was a man who was outside of the temple. There's nothing he could do to walk. He never had walked in his entire life. All he could do was beg. Let me just tell you something. We're all born with a condition. It's called sin. That sin has separated us outside of the family of God. There's nothing we can do to make that relationship right in and of ourselves, All we can do is beg God for mercy 
and for grace. I want to encourage you today to renew and remind yourself that you're that beggar crying out to God. In fact, I was taught that years ago in evangelism training. Maybe you were taught that too, that when we share our faith with someone else, all it is is one beggar telling another beggar how to find a piece of bread. We're coming before God just depending on his grace and mercy. Then I want you to see that Peter and John, they directed their gaze at the man. They saw him. Now, you got to read this passage of Scripture. That's why I just didn't want to skip over it. But he said, this man had been at the beautiful gate just like he always was. Peter and John were doing what they had always done. Do you think they had seen this man before? This means yes. I believe they had. But on this day, they fixed their gaze on him. See, something happens when you begin to see people as Jesus sees people. When you begin to see people as Jesus sees people, We open the door for life-changing ministry and for eternal impact. Who does God want you to see in your little corner of the world? Who is it that you and I have been walking by, that we've been not noticing, that may be there in need of that touch from God, in need of God's redemptive grace? We've been asking this question all throughout this study. Who's your one? Who's the one person in your little corner of the world that God wants you to to pray for, to be focusing on, to be kind to, to look for opportunity to plant seeds of the gospel? Maybe somebody that you play golf with or or somebody at your workplace or or somebody in the classroom or someone in your neighborhood or maybe be a family member. Who's your one? Then we see that this man fixed his attention on them. Now, they were just ordinary men, but God was about to use them to do extraordinary things. In fact, I like what someone said about this passage. They said, the power was from God, but the hand was from Peter. When you make yourself available to be used by God for these divine appointments, he uses your hands and feet to do things that come from his power and from his heart and from his mind. So after they focused on him, the man fixed his attention on them. Now, why would Dr. Luke, writing Acts chapter 3, have to tell us that the man fixed his attention on them? I think it's because he wanted us to know that not even everybody out there that needs help really knows what they need. So here he was. He had Peter and John looking at him, but he was already looking for his next, his, his next target. He was already looking away to see who he might turn to to get more gifts. And so Peter and John have to say, look here. And here we see an important principle. When we focus on the things of God rather than the things of this world, he has a way of exceeding our expectations and doing incredible things for his glory. This man was asking for a few coins. God was about to change his life. He was not focused on the ones that God was about to use. So we have one of those great verses in scripture, silver and gold, we do not have, but what we do have, we give to you, get up and walk. And you know what happens? The man gets up and walks. There's a great story. If you've heard this taught and preached before, you probably heard this story, but years ago, it's told that Thomas Aquinas went in to see Pope Innocent II. And when he went in to see the Pope, the Pope was counting a large sum of money. And the Pope turned to Thomas Aquinas and he said, the church can no longer say silver and gold, have we none? And Thomas Aquinas looked at him and said, you're right, your holiness, but neither can she say, arise and walk. 
See, if we're not careful, we get so focused on what we do have that we forget to ask him for what only he can give. I I believe we've got a problem in our culture. And if Jesus tarries in his return, and if he gives us life, some of us are going to see this problem come to fruition. The church has built big buildings. We've built edifices that the world can look at. But somehow in our affluence, we've lost our influence. We're not making an impact on the society. We don't have the power that I believe God wants us to have. Because when you have that power, it changes life. Look at verse 9. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what happened to him. You see, when we are changed, when we are truly changed, it's unmistakable. That's why we sing songs like Amazing Grace. Because if you recognize where you've come from, you're amazed. That's what that song we sang is supposed to mean. I've been redeemed. I really understand that I was headed toward hell. I was separated from God. I was worthless. I was hopeless. I was lost. I was a sinner in need of a savior. But God did what I could not do. He paid a debt he did not owe. Because I owed a debt I could not pay. I needed somebody to wash my sins away. And Jesus Christ redeemed me. I feel like... Oh, dear Jesus, help us. There are certainly things that come into our lives that distract us. And there are illnesses, both physical and mental, that cause our lives to be in need of medical care. But I believe far too many Christians have a deeper issue than even a physical and mental illness. We have gotten over our salvation. We've forgotten that we've been changed. We've not become the walking billboards that God wants us to be, the living advertisements. When a person's life is truly changed by the power of the gospel, they become a walking advertisement for the amazing grace of God. If people don't look at your life and say, how do I get what you have? What makes you different? If the stresses, the burdens, the worries of this world have the same impact on you that they do everyone around you that does not know Christ, then you need to ask, what has happened? Have I forgotten what a big deal this is and the difference that Jesus makes? This guy had been changed. I'm just telling you, even as I preach this, the Holy Spirit of God is working in my life. I want my life to reflect change. So Peter, he does for the second time what he had done for the first time at Pentecost. At Pentecost, God showed up. Amazing things begin to happen. Jaws drop. What's going on? And Peter said, this is my opportunity. He did that again. This guy was walking around. Everybody said, hey, that's the guy that's been begging All of his life. What happened? And Peter stands up and says, let me tell you. It's a teachable moment. Look at verse 12. When Peter saw it, he addressed the people. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham. The God of Isaac. And the God of Jacob. The God of our fathers. Glorified. 
his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate, whom he had decided to release him, but you denied the holy and righteous one. You asked for a murderer to be granted to you. You killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. For this were witnesses and by his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you. You've been listening to The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis, an outreach of Mission Hill Church. If you're looking for answers to difficult questions or searching for a church home, you're invited to any of the three locations in Temple Terrace and Tampa. Details and directions at missionhillchurch.com. The Barnabas Effect is here to provide listeners like you with biblical truth and spiritual encouragement. But it can't be done without your financial support. Go to missionhillchurch.com and click on the Give tab. Your financial support helps us reach those seeking truth about God and themselves. Thank you for giving at missionhillchurch.com. Weekdays at 9 a.m. Be encouraged by The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis on Faith Talk, AM 570 and 910.